So anyway, today I'm going to continue with our The Table uh, message series. And I'm super excited about it today. Um, last week, we, uh, I began with a message on the Passover. How many of you were here for the message last week? Okay, quite a few of you. If you weren't, make sure you check it out online. It's, all, it's on our website. Um, you can find the, the message there. Um, and um, the Israelites, they were um, challenged by the Lord. The Lord told them to, um, to celebrate the Passover meal on an annual basis. Uh, and the whole idea is that I, the whole idea for them was that they would re- remember what God had done for them and with them um, in the Exodus, which basically is they were they were living in Egypt for 430 years as slaves, and God wanted God delivered them out of Egypt, and um, so what He wanted to do is He wanted to uh, make sure that these people understood that and remembered what he had done for them in the past. So every year they had to uh, basically have this, this same meal again. And uh, the first time it was explained, and we, we looked at that last week, it was in the book of Exodus, and you saw that they celebrated the Passover meal in their families. Um, and and they, they roasted the lamb, and they uh, ate some, some unleavened bread, and that was like the basis of this special meal that they celebrated within their own families. Uh, but then uh, God flips the script in uh, further on in the in the book of um, in in the in the Pentateuch in the first five books of the Bible. Actually, when you look at um, at Deuteronomy, which is um, the book that we'll be looking at today, God speaks about uh, the Passover as well through His servant Moses. And, and Moses change, God, through Moses, changes something about how to celebrate the Passover. Because, in, like I said, in Exodus, it's in the homes, it's in the families, the family context. And now God brings it to a, um, actually to a place where uh, the Israelites had to come together as a family, as a family of believers together, uh, where they would celebrate the Passover at a specific place that he would choose. I, I got I to explain to you that you know, the Bible, the, the first five books of the Bible, they're called the Pentateuch. First book is Genesis. We all know uh, Genesis. The second book is Exodus, which is a story of Egypt leaving, uh, sorry, Israel leaving Egypt. And then Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch. And this is kind of like a collection of sermons, of, of teaching from Moses, who was the leader of Israel when he led them out of Egypt through the, the desert towards the promised land. But Moses was not, was not supposed to go into the promised land. He could only go this far to the border of the promised land uh, because the generation of Moses, they, be, they become unfaithful to him in the desert season. And, and that generation had to die off and a new generation was able to go into the promised land. But Moses still had to teach them a couple of really important things about, about the faith and about what it, mean to, what it meant to be a follower of, of God, to really have God first in their lives, to be loyal to, to Yahweh. So here he is with his people on the plains of Moab, which is just right outside of the promised land. And he, he starts teaching them all these important things about, about the faith. And, and I want to go with you today to Deuteronomy chapter 16. 
So if you have a Bible or an e-Bible or whatever, you just go to Deuteronomy chapter 16. And we'll, we'll look into the instructions that, that Moses gives to the people about Passover there and how it differs from uh, the instructions that were given earlier in the book of Exodus. But let's pray first before we read it. God, we thank you for today, for your word. We thank you, God, that, um, that there's so much power in coming together as a, as a people, as your family, Lord, that, that we could celebrate the, the, the communion together. And, um, and Lord, that there's so many important links with the Passover. And God, we just want to learn what your word says about the Passover and, and what it means for our lives today. God bless us and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, let's go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 1. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. And again, whenever you see Lord with capital, uh, with small capitals, it, it says, it, it basically gives here in the Hebrew the, um, the covenant name of the Lord, which is Yahweh. So, um, back here. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night, and you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no unleavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen within, with, all, with, with you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until morning. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it, there you shall offer the Passover sacrifice in the evening at sunset at the time you came out of Egypt, and you shall cook it and eat it at the place that the Lord your God will choose. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. For six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. So here you see about 38 years after the exodus from Egypt, uh, you got to remember the Israelites were a group, group of slaves. And the first stop in the desert was, was Mount Sinai or Horeb. And that's where God gave the law to them. And in order for us to become a people, in order for a, for a group of people to really become a people, to become a, a family, they, they need a law. And that's what happened at Mount Sinai. They got the law from the Lord at Mount Sinai. And from there they started to travel towards the promised land. And what you could probably walk in about 30 or 40 days. It took them 40 years to get there. Um, and because of their unfaithfulness to the Lord, because of the mistakes that they made, I already shared that before, but it's so important to realize that they were now a nation and they were ready to go into their promised land 38 years after, after the exodus from Egypt. And um, so the text here explains what needs to happen, explains how... God wants the Israelites to remember uh, what he had done for them uh, in Egypt, uh, but that, that now he gives it a different twist. And, and that's what, what's, what's so important. You know, he says, at the place that the Lord your God will choose. That's where we celebrate the Passover, to make his name dwell there. In other words, in the, um, 
in a place where, where the tabernacle, which was like a mobile sanctuary, would be erected, where one day the temple would be built. That's where Israel was supposed to celebrate the, the Passover meal. They, were, they would be there, gathered, united in one place. And the first time that the Israelites would celebrate the Passover in the promised land, you could find the story in Joshua chapter, chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. And, and you see that they follow these instructions here from, from Deuteronomy. Now, Israel is the people of God. Um, you know, when you, look at, when you look at the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 11, you see how God set the Israelites apart, how he set Abraham apart as their forefather, made them his own people so that he, he could bring the blessings that he wanted to give to the world, to the world through the Israelite people. And so there is this separation basically um, going on between Jew and Gentile. In these days, there's, there's people who are from Israelite descent today. You call them Jews. And then you have people from Gentile descent who don't have Jewish blood. And the, 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 the great thing that you see now in, in the New Testament is that in the book of Romans, Paul explains that we can be uh, grafted in. As, as non-Jews, we can be grafted into the olive tree of, of, of Israel. And so what God wants to do is he wants to bring, so he wants to have one people people from Jewish background, people from Gentile background, and, and, and he wants them to, to really all trust in the Messiah, in, in Jesus. Jesus is their, is their Lord. He's, he's, he's supposed to be our Lord, but we could be part of the same covenant blessings that God had for Israel. They could be a part of our life as well. And that's why I feel the Passover meal and everything that's written about it is so important for us today. And our... Um, New Testament version of the Passover meal is communion. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that during, during this message, what, what it looks like. But how is Passover important for us today? Deuteronomy 16 verse 1 says, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, for in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. They had to remember that, one, that, that once they were slaves and now they were set free. Now, they, you know, they're, now they're no slaves anymore. They're, they're God's people now. They're, they're specially chosen by the, by the Lord. And for us, it's the same thing. We once were slaves as well. Of course, most of us don't come from Egypt. I know a few people are here from Egypt. But, you know, we, we all have our Egypt experiences, and you could all, of course, you could point towards sin and maybe the sin that we've had in our lives. But, but let, me, let, me, let me talk to you about something else. Because I believe that Egypt stands for the world system, the evil world system that, that kind of squeezes everything out of us. I've, I've spoken about this a couple of times in the last couple of months. But Egypt and, and Babylon, they, it stands for the world system. It's like when, when Israel was still in Egypt... They had to work, work, work. They had to, um, you know, build bricks for the, for, the, for, the, for the Egyptians. And when they didn't produce enough, they had to make more bricks. And if uh, the Egyptians weren't happy with them, they took away the straw and make it even more difficult to make the amount of bricks that they were supposed to make. It's like this constant pressure on, on the Israelites. And I believe we live in a day today with, 
with our society and with the 24-7 economy that we live in a, in a kind of Egypt as well. We live in a kind of Babylon as well where there's always this pressure on us to perform, to perform, to perform until we basically, you know, get a burnout or whatever. This is like, it's, it's become like a disease in our society today because of the world system that's constantly putting this pressure on us. So when I think of Egypt, I don't only think of sin. I don't only think of our sinful backgrounds, our sinful lifestyles. And I have my own stories about them. Some of you know that. But I also think about the world system that is trying to, trying to force us to blend in, to, to, um, to conform to what the world expects from us. But God wants to set us free from that. He wants to set us free from our own Egypt. And every time when we celebrate communion... Just as the Israelites celebrated the Passover, we can think about, we can remember how God set us free from our own Egypt, how God set us free from, from our, um, our allegiance to the world system and that we now can be loyal to Jesus, that we are set free from that. That is a great thing for us to realize that there's freedom from that world system. Passover helps us remember what God has done for us. Communion helps us to remember what God has done for us. I love Luke 22, verse 19. This is Jesus talking about the institution of communion. He says this, this is my body. He refers to the bread that we eat in communion, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So every time when we have communion, here in the church context or in our homes, we think about all that Jesus has done for us and how he's made a way for all the nations of the world to now come back to, to Yahweh, to come back to God. We live in an amazing time today where we can actually see nation after nation receiving a witness in their own language, like a Bible portion or a whole Bible. The gospel is being preached to, to all the nations, and, and Jesus says, then the end will come. We live in, in the end times. We're, we're very close to the fulfillment of what Jesus said 2,000 years earlier. It's pretty amazing. And every time when we go to communion, when we have communion, we know that we can remember what, what Jesus has done for us. Deuteronomy 16, verse 2, and you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or from the herd. Exodus 12, 13, which is the counterpart in, you know, earlier on in the story when they just, right before they left Egypt. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That's where the name Passover comes from. God will pass over the homes where there's blood on the doorposts because he knows that there's believers there. There's people there who trust in Yahweh, who are loyal to Yahweh, who are loyal to him. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 makes a connection between the Old Testament story and the New Testament situation we now have. It says this, for Christ our Passover lamb has been crucified. Jesus is our Passover lamb. How amazing. 1 Peter 1.18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Now, what do you think of when you think of empty life? This is like that same life that is, is lived in Egypt or Babylon. You just keep working. You keep doing. 
You, you don't think about eternity anymore. You don't think about God's bigger perspective, God's bigger plan for your life because you don't have time for it anymore because you're so hemmed in by the world. It's an empty life. Sin is an empty life as well. And, and we may think we, we, we get gratification from living in sin, but until the moment when we really discover that it's actually an empty life and it actually doesn't fulfill in the long term. God set us free from our empty life. And it wasn't paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Jesus is the lamb of God. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood of the lamb. What we couldn't do in our own strength, he accomplished for us on the cross. His blood cleanses us from all sin. And thank God we don't have to bring animal sacrifices anymore. The only sacrifice that you and I need to bring today to him is our whole life. Our loyalty because, first of all, he was loyal to us. And we just respond in loyalty to him. I love what the prophet and Judge Samuel said to the first Israelite king, to Saul. It wasn't really a nice situation because Saul had disobeyed the voice of the Lord. But Samuel then says to him this, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. When you look at the Hebrew here, the word obey is the word shema. Everybody say shema. Shema. And the word shema means to hear, hearing the voice of the Lord. But in, there's something interesting about the Hebrew here is that it also means to obey. See, in the Hebrew language, obeying and, and hearing are, are one and the same thing. It is a Western concept that you could hear something and not obey it. it is a, it's, a, it's a Western construct that in Christianity we could, we could hear something being said by a preacher. or We could hear something, we could read something in scripture and not obey it. That is totally outside of the concept for, for Jewish people, for Hebrew people. Because for them, it's like, when you listen, when you hear something, you will obey it. Shema. So here's my second point. We respond to God with our loyalty because he has been loyal to us. Some of you are wondering, what was the first point? The first one was, Passover helps us remember what God has done for us. So the second one is this. We respond to God with our loyalty because he has been loyal to us. Jesus is the lamb of God. He already paid the price for our sins so we can be restored to the Father. He is loyal to us. And all he requires from us is that we shema, that we place our loyalty in him, that we hear and obey him. That's, it's that simple, really. That's why we, that's what we remember when we Drink the grape juice or the wine of communion. Matthew 26, verse 27 and 28. Jesus says this about communion. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The grape juice is the blood of the covenant, the new covenant. You know, 
a covenant in, 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 the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew setting could only be um, made valid through, through the blood of something. And of course, the first covenants, they were all cut through animal blood, animal sacrifice. But here it's through Jesus' own sacrifice, through Jesus' own blood. He paid the price himself so that we could be in relationship with God, so that our relationship with God could be restored, so we could be grafted in on that olive tree of Israel, so that we could be one new man in Jesus. It's powerful to know that. So if, if Jesus paid the price for us, I believe that there's a response that he's awaiting from us. Romans 12 verse 1, I believe, you know, puts it very clearly. This is Paul speaking. He says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We give our bodies as a living sacrifice. We present it to the Lord. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, this is, this is something, it's, it's so powerful if we realize this, what it means. It's like we, faith is so much more than coming to church on a Sunday or, or reading your Bible even every day. And I really encourage you to do it. But faith is so much more than that. It's like we, we give our lives, we give our whole life to Jesus. We put it on the, on the altar. And you know what, when you look at the, the Old Testament, all the animal sacrifices where, where lambs or bulls or whatever were put on the altar, the, the bull or the, or the lamb or whatever, they didn't have, a, have their own will anymore. They couldn't get off that altar anymore. In fact, they were dead. And when Paul says to, put, to, to give our lives as a, as a sacrifice to the Lord, he means the same thing. It's like we die to our own will. We die to our own perspective on things, to our own opinions. We say, no, Lord, here's my life. I surrender it all to you. It's not, will, not my will anymore that needs to be done. It's your will that needs to be done. I surrender my whole life to you. That's what it means when you put your life on the altar. That's how radical the Christian faith is. Death to self. Death to selfie. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the worship team. It's not about the people at the door. It's not about the kids team or even the kids. As much as we love them. It's about Jesus. It's about him. He's number one. And we give our lives. We put it on the altar. And you know what? Jesus says for a good reason that when we follow, want to follow him, we, we just pick up our cross daily. Daily. Every day it's just a... This is a, you know, we wrestle with the same thing. Because our self tries to take over. Our self tries to guide our life, tries to direct our life. But God says to us, no, 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 no. Put your own life on the altar. Death to self. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. That's the best way to live your life. Because only when you, when you do that can you, can you inherit, can you take a hold of all the blessings that God has for you. If we, if we live with divided loyalty, we live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God, we cannot experience any of the blessings of the kingdom of God. We need to resign to self before we can grab a hold of those. It's a radical message. Deuteronomy 16.2, I'm going to read it again and add a, the second part to that verse. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord 
will choose to make his name dwell there. So from the home, the Passover was celebrated now in a central location. I love this whole idea that, that, that yes, we are God's families within our own homes, but we also are the family of God together in one place like we are today. We're the family of God. We're pursuing God's kingdom. We gather in a place where, God names dwell, where God's name dwells. We gather together in a place that is, that is actually like sacred space. And this, this place here is sacred, not because this building is sacred. Not, not at all. This place is sacred because you and I were temples. You and I were priests. You and I were sacrifices. And wherever, um, wherever we gather together, we, we form sacred space together. And that's what attracts the Lord in this place. That's why God wants to be here. We are the people of God. And the Passover is not only a, ce a celebration of our right standing as individual families with the Lord. It's also a celebration of the fact that we are God's family together. So Passover knits together individual families, but also the larger church family. That was my third point. I believe that there was another reason why Israel had to celebrate the Passover at a central place. Because you see in the desert that the Israelites wander away from God. You know, they make the golden calf. Just one example. If you look at, uh, at the story after they... They, they go into the promised land. You see many times that they, that they draw away from the Lord. That they pull away from him. That they're no longer living in loyalty towards him. Every time they walk away from him. And so, so when they gather, they would gather in one place. This would actually be like a safeguard. That there is actually a priest involved. That there's actually, you know, some people there that, that, that can help the Israelites to, to, to remain loyal to Jesus. Uh, to, to Yahweh. Of course, this is Old Testament. Jesus' name wasn't known yet. He was there, but he wasn't known yet under that name. So, it was a safeguard against idolatry. And it was very necessary. Because the Israelites didn't have a new heart yet. They were stubborn of heart. And the good news for us is that because Jesus came and he died on the cross and you know, he, he rose from the dead and, and we can now have Jesus living in us by way of his Holy Spirit that we, could actually, we actually have that new heart in us. If, if we surrendered our lives to Jesus, if we trust in his finished work on the cross, we have a new heart. We have a new life. We don't have to draw away from Jesus anymore in this loyalty because we have him living in us. But that is good news because that means that we're no longer dependent on doing communion or religious sacraments or whatever in a central place, we could actually distribute it and bring it into our homes without any problem. We can have communion in our own homes. And I know that some of you have Christian backgrounds that, that say, no, 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 you need a, an official minister to do this. You need a pastor or a priest or whatever to do this. No, the Bible is actually very clear about it that you can do this in your home and this is something that should be done in the home. Besides the fact that it's also good sometimes to do it in a church context like today. That's why we, maybe we could bring that, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little brochure there on my seat uh, from uh, the table. Can I get that? Somewhere over there. No, is that it? Thank you. These, these little guides, they help you 
find out what it means to, to do communion in your home. And I want to highly encourage you uh, to pick one of those up. They're at the, at the Welcome Center. We have one in English, one in Dutch. And it will help you to really discover what it means to, to do communion in your home context. Because I believe it's going to change everything about your family situation. It's going to help you bring God's presence back into, into your home. It knits together your family, but it also knits together the church family, the ecclesia. You know, in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, right after the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the believers, you know what happened? They, they were gathering in, a, in the temple, but they were also gathering in the homes. And in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says that they, uh, that they were breaking bread in their homes. In other words, they were having communion in their homes. They wanted to make sure that, that God's presence was there. And man, would it be so, it would be so awesome if, if our church, if we start picking this up, if our homes would become places where God's presence would dwell in whatever town, whatever city you live in. We're going we're gonna to really bring God's presence into the community again through what you do and through what I do. They were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. I love that. Wouldn't it be cool if, 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 if people would look at Celebration Church Netherlands and that, that we would have favor with the people around us, with our neighbors, with our, our colleagues at work, and that wherever we go, that we would bring God's presence into our work situation, that we would bring God's presence into our schools, that we would bring his presence into, you know, into our homes if, if we have unbelieving uh, spouses or kids, that God's presence will be so tangibly felt in all these areas and spaces where we live our lives. I believe that's what God wants to do in our day today. Deuteronomy 16, verse 3. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days. And in Exodus, in the instructions there, it also says that we need to remove the leaven out of our homes and out of the territory. What you may not know is that leaven, that actually symbolizes sin. And we have to get rid of the leaven in our lives. We have to get rid of the sin in our lives. She'll be found nowhere in, on Israelite territory. Why? Because not only the, the city of Jerusalem and where the temple was, but the whole nation was actually a sacred space, was actually holy ground. And God said, no, you can't have any leaven. During those seven days, you can't have any leaven on your, on your premises in your country. You know what? That Jesus, he's actually our unleavened bread. He was without sin. He is the bread that came down from heaven as he describes himself. I love how Paul repeats in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. he talks about the, the bread of communion. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we partake of communion, it is important that we do regular spiritual house cleaning. Is there leaven in our lives? Unforgiveness, immorality, greed, anger, gossip, whatever. 
I love it every time when, when we have communion in our home. It, 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 it's really like a, a moment where my wife and I and our kids and us, we can look each other in the eye. Is there anything that we didn't forgive each other of? There's always this moment that comes every week where we have to make sure that we're, we're good with one another. That's what communion does. It, it, it challenges us to, to make sure that there's nothing in between us anymore, that there's no disunity between us anymore. And there's nothing between us and the Lord anymore. It's a spiritual house cleaning that we do before it. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I just love that whole thought that we could celebrate the festival. We could celebrate the New Testament version of Passover, which is communion. We can gather together around the table. This doesn't have to be this somber moment where you have to do some introspection and, oh, I'm a wretched sinner. No, it's just a moment where, where yes, if we do, if we have done sin, if, we, if there are things that are in between us and the Lord, we, we surrender to him. Lord, I'm imperfect. I, 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 I hand over my sinful lifestyle, my sins, the mistakes that I've made. I give it to you, Lord. But I want to I wanna receive your, I want to I thank you for your grace in Jesus. Thank you for, for doing this new thing in my life. Thank you that I have a new heart, that I can actually walk in loyalty to, to Jesus in my life. We can remember what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to be summer. We can celebrate the festival. We can celebrate communion together. And yes, it's good to, to stand still, to be quiet for a moment and to, to think about all that Jesus has done for us. But it doesn't have to be a somber quiet. It can be a celebratory quiet. There's a big difference in that. We're partakers of a new covenant of which both Jew and Gentile can be a part. I love that whole idea that Jesus is both the lion and the lamb as the song said earlier. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I just remember this song of Moses. We talked about this last week. You know, after Moses and the Israelites were led out of Egypt and they saw, seen this massive, you know, deliverance that God had brought about for them. You know, all the ten plagues had happened. And then them being led through the Red Sea, the walls of water just piling up besides them as they were walking through it. They're like, man, this is so awesome. We, we have a God who is real, who's, who loves us, and who is so powerful. He's our God. And then they sing the song of Moses. I love the words of that song. It says this, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. What is the mountain of the Lord? It's Zion. It's, it's, it's in Israel. This is the place where God's presence dwells. And this is... You know, God wants the whole world to be like Zion. He wants the whole world to be filled with his presence. There's so many prophecies about that. You will plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your own abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The Lord will reign forever and ever. God wants to be king. He is already king, but... The sad thing is that many of us don't realize it. And the world around us that doesn't know God yet, 
they don't realize it for sure, but God wants to establish his kingdom and his kingship over all the world. And as Christians, we, you know, we, we surrender to the king, to, to Jesus. There is going to be a moment in the future where Jesus is going to return, not as the lamb, but as the lion. And he's going to establish his kingdom over all the world. He's going to do away with everything that exalts itself against the love of God, against the knowledge of God. He's going to make sure that there's going to be peace and shalom over the whole earth. His kingdom is going to be manifested in this earth. But we get to experience it right now as the ecclesia. This is something that is, can be part of our lives today when we crown him as king. We can have a Mount Zion experience today when we say to the Lord, God, I surrender my life to you. I wave the white flag. It's no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives in me. Not my will, but your will be done. I pick up my cross. I surrender my life. God, you're my king. Jesus, you're my king. You know, we can, we're able to celebrate communion everywhere and at any time because we are priests, we are temples, and we're even sacrifices. We have everything with us to be able to celebrate communion at every time. We carry the presence and reign of God with us. We are the sanctuary, the holy place that he has established. Every one of us individually, but also within our families and also in our church family, the ecclesia. And through communion, we proclaim Jesus to be king over our lives, over our family, over our church family, and pass on the story of what God has done to the next generation. And that's why we want to have communion today here in this place. Yes, I believe that the first and foremost place to have communion is in the home. When you look at the book of Acts, the verse I read there earlier. But I also feel it's important that, that we have that opportunity as the people of God, as the family of God to do this together in unity. Which means that if there's anything between you and God, that it's important to surrender that to him today. If there's unforgiveness against a brother or a sister, maybe somebody who's here today or maybe, who's some, maybe somebody who's not here today, that we also surrender that to the Lord and, and make a decision to make it up with them. God wants us to be free of unforgiveness. He wants us to be free to serve Him with everything that is within us. But most of all, He wants to be king over your life. He wants to be king over my life and over this whole church. And that's what we're going to celebrate today, that Jesus is king over Celebration Church, Netherlands. He is king over Celebration Church, Hilversum, English service, over all of us. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads right now. God, we thank you, Lord, that this morning that you want to establish your lordship over us, that you want to establish your your reign over the life of every person in this room today and everybody who's watching online. God, we pray right now, Lord, that you would establish your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, so that your will be, will be done in our lives. And God, today as we, as we celebrate communion, Father, yes, 
there will be a moment of introspection, but it will be more than that. It will be a celebratory moment where we just thank you for everything that you've done for us. And, and God, we want to crown you as king through communion this morning, Lord. We love you. We want to bless your name, God. We want to proclaim your name over this people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.